On the show today, we chat with one of Australian cricket's new national selectors who was the boss of the selection panel before in Trevor Holmes and the editor of cricket's most famous publication, Wisdom's Cricket Almanac, Lawrence Booth also pops in for a chat as a new English international season with a new coach is almost upon us. Dan Lonigan with you on Cow Corner on Grandstand Digital and also on Radio Australia around the Pacifics. Joined once again by my great mate Pete Newlands. Pete, great to have you with us. Another big week in cricket, plenty to talk about. Big week in cricket, yeah, well, a lot happening in the IPL, Dan, with... Uh, of course, the Kings eleven Punjab going along uh, pretty nicely at the top of the table there. And what about the goings on there between Mitchell Stark and Kyron Pollard? Is this good for cricket, this sort of uh, on-field altercation with Stark sort of tracking a ball towards Pollard after Pollard had pulled out of a delivery? And, of course, that ugly scene where Pollard flung his bat in, in the direction of Mitch Stark. Is that good for the game? I'm not sure, but the IPL is... Is certainly in focus at the moment, as is the English season, which is winding up nicely with some test matches for England versus Sri Lanka not too far away. I don't like the exchanges that we've seen. We saw it in the BBL a couple of years ago with Shane Warne and Marlon Samuels. Didn't like it. Didn't think Mitchell Stark had that in him. We know he's a very talented bowler, but it didn't look good. Certainly doesn't help his cause too much. Doesn't help Kyron Pollard's cause at all, but... I suppose uh, the IPL or the T20 concept's a bit different, isn't it, to normal cricket? But still, I don't think you need exchanges like that. I think that uh, the action on the field should take care of itself, should it not? Well, there's a gladiatorial aspect to it. It's a, it's a TV presentation as well. But there was another bizarre incident where Andre Russell ran into bowl to Shane Watson in another IPL game. And Russell feigned as if he was going to pull out of his delivery stride, which we see from time to time. And Shane Watson... Uh, was put off by that, and then Russell decided to bowl the ball. And now, whether or not that was within the rules technically or whether Russell was using that as a deliberate attempt to distract a batsman, I don't know. But it was one of the more uh, unusual things that I've seen in recent times in cricket. So uh, the IPL has certainly got the cricket world uh, watching at the moment, but it's got a few more weeks to run yet before we hit the finals. Personally, I'm looking forward to seeing how England uh, set up for this uh, test series against uh, Sri Lanka and then, of course, uh, some test matches to follow. Five, in fact, against India later in the northern summer. We'll talk more about that with Lawrence Booth shortly, Pete. We'll catch up with Trevor Holmes in just a second, but just some... Local news to do with uh, the new Sheffield Shield season. Alex Doolan is going to be the new vice captain of the Tasmanian team. Uh, the Tasmanian team. Tim Payne has made the decision to stand down. Are you surprised by that? A little bit. Uh, of course, with George Bailey not around that much these days because of his national commitments, whoever is vice captain of Tasmania tends to do a lot of on-field leadership. And I guess Tim Payne trying to get his batting form back to its very best, also keeping and the skippering aside maybe felt that uh, removing one of those responsibilities was the way to go ahead. He's decided to stand down as vice-captain. And Alex Doolan, who's uh, a player with, with a, very, a very high reputation and is held in high regard, will get opportunities through this uh, summer to come to uh, lead Tasmania in this shield. So I think it says a lot about the quality of Tasmania's staff that they can replace one uh, leader with another one uh, of uh, Alex Doolan's calibre. And we have a lot of talented young players coming through, haven't we? Jake Doran, who's part of the Australian Under-19 team, the World Cup earlier this year, just 17 years old. 
He's been signed as a rookie yep. listed player by New South Wales. Not too surprised about that, are you? He's talking big. He's got his eyes on the, the big job some way down the track. But New South Wales, I guess, seem to have a wellspring of talented youth. And sometimes it's a problem for them as to what to actually do with them all. But uh, Doran looks like he's um, uh, been uh, uh, earmarked some way out uh, for uh, the very highest honours. That's a hard rap for a young player to deal with. But uh, young Doran seems to be happy enough to ab- absorb that praise at this, uh, this stage. Well, up next, talking of selection, we'll talk with a new member of the Australian selection team in Trevor Holmes. This is Cow Corner, ABC Grandstands Cricket Show. During Australia's domination of international cricket from the late 90s to the mid-2000s, the chairman of selectors was Trevor Holmes. He stepped down from that role in 2006, but is now back as part of a new-look selection panel chaired by Rod Marsh. And Trevor Hones joins us now on uh, Cow Corner. Trevor, thanks for your time. Uh, why the return to the big table? <laughs> well, uh, I guess the opportunity came up. And uh, look, over the last two or three years, I've been highly involved, of course, uh, with Queensland Cricket as, as their chairman of selectors and talent manager, etc., etc. So um, it's always been there. You know, some, this sort of involvement has always been there in my system, I suppose. And it's something that I don't mind doing. You know, look, it's not everybody's cup of tea, but uh, I, I certainly don't mind it. And the opportunity arose, so uh, I thought, why not? What do you like most about being a selector, Trevor? Well, I, I think, you know, seeing... You obviously watch a lot of cricket, and, and, and you do get some enjoyment out of seeing some of those players that possibly... Uh, you give a start to, particularly at the start of their careers, and uh, if you see them progress, I think that's pretty satisfying. And, and then, then of course, you know the success as a whole of of not just the national side, but but cricket in general in this country. I think we've we've come through a period um, a few years ago where uh, the side wasn't performing. Sure, we were we were trying to develop some players and um, all of that sort of thing. And the interest tended to, to wane. You know, you didn't hear too many people talking too much about the cricket. But over the last 12 months or so, since the national side has been performing well, everyone's excited and talking about the cricket again. Now, as I said, you moved out of the selection uh, side of things in 2006. What are we now? 2014. I mean, are, you, are you conscious of just how much things have changed in that time? There was no BBL in those days. There might have been a very, very infant um, uh, 2020 state league. But the, things really have moved on since those days. Are you, are you conscious of that? Yeah, very, very conscious, of course. And I, and I suppose the, the last uh, three years with Queensland has, uh, has probably given me a little bit of experience and insight in, into the different forms of the game, now, in particular the 20, 2020. And, and I, I think originally there was a lot of people that had their reservations about 2020 cricket, but uh, I find it quite exciting and, and quite interesting these days. Cause it, it in itself has its own uh, different tactics. You need different types of players. So, so that'll be a challenge, certainly. And obviously you've, you've come into the role with the Australian team now, number one in test cricket. Are you surprised how quickly they've improved over the last 12 months or so, Trevor? Yeah, it has been pretty dramatic, hasn't it? And, and whether some of the other countries have, have dropped off a bit or we've just started to play very well. And I, I think it's, it's probably the latter there. And, and of course, uh, that has coincided with the change in the coach as well. So whether that's a coincidence or not, I, I don't think so. I, I think the coach has obviously put his stamp on the group of players we we have, and uh, they've certainly responded. Now, you're on a selection panel that includes a player whose career you had to end, uh, Trevor, <laughs> yeah. in uh, one of the greats, in my opinion, uh, Mark War. Is there some sort of irony there? 
No, no, not at all. I, I, I don't think so. I think it'd be very enjoyable because Mark, as we've seen uh, in his commentary on TV, he, he's straight up and down. Rod Marsh is straight up and down, and, and, I, and I think uh, you know. Well, I hope I'm, I'm the same. So I think it'll be a good mix. Um, there's three different people, uh, obviously from three different eras, and uh, hopefully, and uh, well, I think it should work pretty well. We know we have the contract system, Trevor, but obviously you can look outside the square. But, I mean, how mindful are you originally when you're picking teams, particularly test teams, uh, to get ready for a new test series, that you, you may have to concentrate on those contracted players or is, it, or is everyone an, an opportunity being selected? Well, I, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't uh, had that detail given to me yet. As you know, it was only last week the new panel was, was announced and, and, of course, uh, Rod will give us some direction on, on that, but uh, you know, we always find, I, I think, and uh, over the over the years, that there's always players from outside the contract list uh, play for Australia from time to time. So, you know, we're, I'd like to think we can certainly continue to encourage everyone playing Sheffield Shield cricket to uh, to aspire to play for Australia, so that everybody's a chance. Trevor, what works best in your uh, long experience in the game? A three-man independent panel? Do you like the idea of coaches having a say at the selection table, captains themselves? Because we've, we have seen different, I guess, configurations of selection mm. panels over the years. In your opinion, what's the, what's the ideal way to run a, uh, a selection table? Yeah, well, I, I think originally I would have said three, but of course now with a four-man panel and the coach uh, being a selector, that seems to have worked very, very well. And, of course, if the coach is to be a selector, you have to have the right person, um, one that can can um, cope with, with being a coach and, of course, making hard decisions on his players. And I think we're lucky enough to, to have one of those uh, people right now. But uh, And, of course, too, with the program uh, fairly hectic and, and chock-a-block over the next 12 months, I mean, having a coach as a selector will be pretty convenient as well, particularly uh, on some of the over to overseas trips when, when maybe um, one of us can't be there. Well, the coach is there and he's a selector as well. So so uh, he's there getting first-hand view of it anyway. You said there's a lot of cricket coming up over the next 12 months or so. Is there almost too much cricket, Trevor? I know this is an old chestnut. Yeah, no. Well, I, I don't know. It's very, very difficult to say, but I, I, I would... I would think not. I mean, the players probably love it. Really, they should love it. You know, they're doing something that they they like doing. They're, they're being treated pretty well. Sure, there's wear and tear on their bodies, and also time away from home takes a toll from time to time. But I don't, I don't, I don't think there's too much. The one thing we do have to be careful of, of course, is is not killing the game off by having too much. But at the moment, I. I think it's a it's a pretty good blend. It just seems a little bit congested over the next twelve months, of course, because we've got a we've got a World Cup here in uh, in Australia and New Zealand, so there'll be plenty of cricket on for everybody. And just on your experience again, Trevor, how important is it to keep an eye on what might be happening, of course, in the present time and the next series, but also a little bit of succession planning. Of course, no player lasts forever, and at some point, as we mentioned earlier, you've got to call time on players' careers, often great players' careers. How much of an art is that for a selection panel to just really time those sort of things uh, spot on? Yeah, quite quite right, and it is part of the charter, of course. Not, you know, we we do or we like we like to pick teams and put teams on the field to to win all the time or as much as possible. Um, but also, we have to keep an eye on the future. And you know, if there's an outstanding young player coming through, we we need to continue to encourage them either um, 
by talking to them, a selection for Australia A and then ultimately into our national side, providing there's the opportunity there. And I say providing the opportunity is there. Um, we can talk all we like about, about our older players and what have you, but whilst they're, they're continuing to perform and perform very well, um, they deserve to be there uh, until someone better comes along. Trevor, great to cr- catch up. Congratulations on the appointment, and uh, no doubt we'll chat again as the season gets a bit closer. Thanks for joining us in Cow Corner. Will do. Thanks very much. Pleasure. This is Cow Corner. On Grandstand Digital and across the Pacific on Radio Australia, this is Cow Corner with myself, Peter Newlands, and Dan Lonigan. In the digital and cyber world where people spend as much time looking at a blue screen as they do looking at white paper, there's still nothing like the appearance each year of the stubby-sized cricketer's almanac with the yellow jacket, Wisden. And the editor of the 2014 Wisden, Lawrence Booth, joins us now. Well, Lawrence, thank you for your time. Um, England's worst performance in Ashes history occurred on your watch, that is, as editor. What's Wisden's take on what happened in the 13-14 season down under? Uh, well, they fell apart really, didn't they? Um, uh, we, we saw them lose at Brisbane, which, which they often do. Um, they, they often get caught on a, on a bouncy track there. Um, and in the past, occasionally, they, they've fought back, but, but this time they, they then collapsed to Adelaide on that, that, um, uh, that, that beguiling third afternoon, I think it was, on a Saturday when Mitchell Johnson ran, ran through them, and that was a very flat pitch, and I think... Uh, the, the English contingent said the worst then. They thought that if they weren't going to get out of Adelaide with with a draw, that, that they were going to be in trouble, and so it proved. And the whole thing just fell apart bit by bit. We had Jonathan Trott going home after the, the, the first test with his stress-related illness, um, Graham Swan retiring after the third test, Matt Pryor was dropped, and no one saw that coming. Stephen Fink couldn't get on the park. Kevin Peterson was, uh, it turned out later, was annoying the hell out of everyone again. Um, and and uh, it, it went from bad to worse, so it was just it was just a nightmare tour from start to finish. Do you know why Lawrence Kevin Peterson was annoying everyone? Is that just his character? I mean, he, he just never learnt, did he? <laughs> I think that's right. He, he he didn't learn. Um, he was on the last warning after the the text uh, scandal mm. of 2012 when he sent those texts to the South African players, uh, and uh, England. Many many felt England were were, were too generous in, in inviting him back then after he'd been. Uh, not especially polite about his captain Andrew Strauss. So he was in a last warning, and it, you know I don't think there was one uh, major incident that, that uh, tipped England over the edge. It was just a series of, of small incidents. They they haven't been particularly forthcoming about saying what those incidents were, but you you hear things um, uh, around the traps and uh, comments here and there undermining his captain, um, uh, talking about other players. Uh, general unhelpfulness, just just the sense that this wasn't a guy who was pulling in the same direction as uh, as the rest of the team. And if you're on your last warning, you chances are you probably wouldn't behave like that generally, and, and he did. And England made a decision that uh, if they were going to move forward as rebuild after the, the Ashes disaster, then they, they weren't going to do it with, with Kevin Peterson. It's a fascinating study of a, a player, and, and a very fine player who at the very least played great test innings uh, and a fallout between himself and his teammates and uh, the team leadership. Was there anything that could have been done any better and from the, the leadership point of view? And I'm talking about the on-field leadership, particularly Alistair Cook, in, in keeping uh, Peterson in, in, a, in a place that was going to be useful for the, the success of the team. 
Yeah, well, that's a, that's a charge that's been levelled against England a bit, that they that the man management was poor. Um, I mean, people are pointing the finger more at Andy Flower than Cook in that regard. Um, I'm not sure what Cook could have done. I mean, Peterson is was sort of Cook's um, equal in terms of seniority. They both sort of played over 100 tests. Um, I, I, I personally don't buy the, the man management argument. Um, I think they, they, they managed Peterson for for nine or ten years as an England cricketer and he, he played over 100 tests. He became the, the leading run scorer for England in all international cricket past Graham Gooch's mark uh, in the, the first Ashes series last summer, um, last English summer. So I, I think they, they did manage him pretty well. They, they got a lot out of him. It worked well for both sides. But he, I think he's, he's a batsman just on the, on the downward slope of his career now. He, people say, well, he was... He, he, he was England's leading run score in the Ashes, but that wasn't saying much, was it? Um, you know, the, the aver- he averaged 29, so we're not going to pat him on the back for averaging 29. Um, the fact is everyone else was, was hopeless as well, so that, that's a slightly spurious argument. I think, I think he was on the downward slope. He averaged the mid-30s last year in Test cricket, which was his lowest average of any calendar year since he started. He averaged 28 in one-day internationals. He was barely playing one day as all 2020s for England because they kept resting him. His knee was uh, his knee was playing up. He's 33 now. He'll be 34 very soon. So you know, uh, England. There was also an element of pragmatism about their decision. They decided that if he wasn't going to be averaging 50, uh, then he wasn't worth the trouble anymore. Just on the the way England have been destabilised or possibly destabilised by that series defeat, uh, there's a series coming up in about a month against Sri Lanka. Getting back to Cook, I mean, is Cook's position as uh, captain of that team, is that secure long-term, do you think, through at least through this summer? I think it's secure this summer. Um, beyond that, mm. it's hard to say. He'll, he'll definitely be watched closely this summer because I think his... He, he was exposed tactically during the during the five 0 defeat. I mean, people suspected before that series that, that Clark was the the more lateral thinker of the two captains, and 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 so it proved. Um, I mean, Cook Cook's approach to captaincy was was rather like Andrew Strauss's was. I, I think of him as a bit of a Strauss-like figure in in some ways. You know, the, the concentrating on 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 boring the batsmen out. It worked well for England in the the previous trip to Australia when they they won three tests by an innings against a you know, pretty shambolic Australian side. And on, on that occasion, discipline with the ball worked very well because Australia had no discipline with the bat. But as soon as you lose that discipline with the ball, um, and you're, you're, I mean, they, they tried to recreate that scenario, didn't they, under Cook? And, and it, it didn't work. And Brad Haddon was, uh, came out and rescued Australia every time with the bat. And Mitchell Johnson just had the series of his life with the ball. But even so, Cook... Cook was found wanting, I think, tactically, and he needs to impose himself on the team. There were lots of times when you looked down and you weren't sure who was captain. It seemed that Jimmy Anderson or Stuart Broad were, were setting the fields for their own bowling, overruling Cook at times, and I think he, he does need to impose himself, and he needs to show that he's played more than 100 tests now, and he has a gut feeling for the way cricket works. He has to be able to react to situations, not just stick to plan A. Uh, and, and have no plan B to go to. So it's a it's a huge summer for him, and he needs to start scoring runs again. He averaged mid-20s against Australia. Um, so, yes, it's going to be interesting to see how he responds. Is there a concern too, Lawrence, that there's just not enough depth in English cricket? I mean, they've been lucky enough to be so good over the last seven or eight years because they've had a pretty stable team. Now that a lot of these players are moving on, having been retired or been dropped, as in Kevin Peterson's situation that there's not the depth coming through that can replace them in the short term at least? Yeah, that, that is a concern. Um, 
you know, lots of people say international sport is cyclical, and as you point out, England have had a, a good time of it. Um, I mean, the, the big, the biggest concern for me is the spin bowling department. You know, the, the Graham Swan's retirement uh, took people by surprise. I think it was always the case he was going to quit at the end of the series, uh, but he, he brought that forward because he felt his elbow just wasn't um, uh, wasn't wasn't getting him the, the snap that he needed on, on his off breaks and. What Swan did for five years uh, was allow England to play a four-man attack. Essentially, mm. um, it was, he was a kind of it was it was a bit like I'm not saying he was anywhere near Shane Warne as a bowler, but it was a bit like what Warne allowed Australia to do for many years. Uh, he could just bowl long spells. He could attack and defend at the same time, and the seamers could rotate at the other end. At the moment Swan's gone, you're you're suddenly looking at Monty Panesar as the next best, and he, he's someone who England have lost a bit of trust in over the years. Uh, we saw them pick. Scott Borthwick at, at Sydney to that, that disastrous test where they picked three debutants and Borthwick, who's a batsman really for Durham, who bowls a bit of leg spin, was suddenly England's first first rank spinner, and that he looked out of his depth there. He looked at Simon Kerrigan, you remember at the Oval mm-hmm. uh, in August, was it was another guy who they tried and 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 and, and um, didn't look good enough. So they're going to be in trouble, I think, for for a bit until they can unearth uh, a new spinner. Um, Batting is interesting. Um, I think they'll probably bring in a guy to open the batting against Sri Lanka called Sam Robson, who's, who's really an yeah. Aussie. Yes. England doing, English cricket doing their old trick there of, of picking guys from from outside uh, the country. But um, he, he's decided to throw his lot in with, with England, and he looks quite promising. I don't think he's going to set, set the world on fire. He looks like a, a front-foot, right-handed version of Cook, so he's going to be solid. So he, he's promising. And then and it's a question of who you bring into the middle order. Can Stephen Finn come back? Can Matt Pryor come back? You know, so lots of questions. And you know, things could get worse before they get better. On Cow Corner, we're speaking with the editor of Wisdom, Lawrence Booth. Lawrence, Charlotte Edwards was named as one of the five players of the year. It's always a feature of the, uh, the Almanac. What does that say about the, the place of the women's game now? Yeah, it, um, it says that it's, uh, it's being given a bit more credence than it used to be. I mean, Claire Taylor was chosen um, five years ago by, by Shil Berry, my, my predecessor's editor. She was the first woman to be chosen as a cricketer of the year, but, but Charlotte is the second. Um, you know, I think that there was a bit of a sea change uh, last year with the World Cup in India when it suddenly dawned on people that women's cricket wasn't just about England v Australia with occasionally New Zealand chipping in. Sri Lanka surprised people. West Indies got to the final. Um, suddenly there seemed to be a bit more depth in world cricket, in, in world women's cricket, and, and that made the tournament more interesting. And, and I think the way the, the women's ashes has been reconfigured so that the, the one day in the 2020s count towards uh, the, 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 the overall result on a point system has worked quite well too because it's kept interest in, uh, in all those games. And we had two good ashes series, didn't we, last summer in England? Uh, last year mm-hmm. England happened to win them both, but but they were pretty close. Um, uh, or certainly the second one was England ran away with the first one. But but Charlotte Edwards is, you know, she I think she 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 did the award for for sort of lifetimes uh, uh, achievements. Really, she's the leading run scorer in all formats in, in women's cricket, and she's played the most games. And she's a she's a towering figure in in, in the world game. And it, it it seemed like the right time to to, to give her that award. Lawrence, great to catch up. We could spend a couple of hours. We had two hours on Cow Corner chatting to you about cricket. So much going on. We really appreciate your time. And uh, hopefully we can catch up maybe sometime during the English summer. Enjoy it. And thanks for joining us again on Cow Corner. 
Thanks for having me, guys. Enjoyed it. Yes, wonderful to hear from Lawrence Booth, the editor of uh, the Almanac. Pete, he has so much to tell and so much to say about the game of cricket, mm. especially from uh, an English point of view. And uh, look, they're going through a pretty tough time at the moment. It will be fascinating to see how they go against Sri Lanka in the upcoming Test Series. Yeah, interesting also that uh, Wisden has decided to uh, publish a list of 27 banned players or players who have received some sort of ban for corruption of some sort in their careers. Mm. So it's a fascinating journal. It's uh, survived a long time. Anyway, Dan, before we go, and time is against us now, out of Wisden, here's my stat of the week. Uh, from the unusual occurrences section, way down the back of the Almanac, as we have a bit of a Wisden theme, in one particular match in the county season last year, it was Coleman caught mustard bold onions. That's got a flavour to it. It sure does. We love it. Good on you, Pete. Great to catch up, and we'll have more Cow Corner next week. Look forward to your company then. Stay tuned right here on ABC Grandstand Digital.